0: All right, what's up to all the cinephiles out there? Welcome to another episode of the Marquee Spotlight, coming to you from the always sunny Portland, Oregon. I am your host, Spencer Bailey, and I am here with my co-host. She would never travel six days by horse just to squelch on a bet, Chelsea Burnett.
1: Wow, that sounds so epic. Thank you. Hey, Spencer.
0: Hello. It has been a while. Uh, We are so excited to be recording again. Life gets in the way sometimes. Chelsea, your sister just got married and you were bogged down with that as as people often are when a sibling is getting married.
1: Yes, I don't know why I took on it wasn't I'm like, Chelsea, you're not the one getting married. Why are you grinding your teeth at night? Why are you so stressed? I was like, I just want this all to be so perfect for her. And I, in the end, it, it, it did. It, she was gorgeous. Her husband looked fabulous that they had a great wedding. So happy for them.
0: All right. Well, so. Today, our primary topic is we are going to go ahead and review Green Knight. We both saw that. Uh, uh, as we said in the last episode, we wanting to do more movie reviews. And with movies kind of being back, we're excited about it. Um, but in lieu of a new story today, uh, we're going to do something different. I want to talk briefly about a topic that I've been really wanting to talk about on the show. I wanted to do... Uh, a whole episode I wanted it to be the spotlight topic of an episode, but we just could not figure out how to make this topic a whole episode. So we're going to do a split episode here where we're just going to have this topic and then we're going to review Green Knight. So the topic I'm talking about is I want to talk about the current state of movies and cinema. I think we're in kind of a, a weird transitional place right now where theaters are opening back up and we're getting you know we get to go we're being able to go back to theaters there's new movies coming out movies we've been waiting for no time to die is coming out soon dunes coming out soon um licorice pizza the new pta movies coming out soon but it, streaming is more prevalent than it's ever been and we're getting you know movies coming out in theaters and on streaming and i think that this was inevitable but it's certainly got a kick in the ass because of covid
1: absolutely yeah and i think that the last um oscar run the last oscar campaign is a prime example of the type of content that american audiences were being given in the time of of covid and um which there were some really exciting new voices being represented because of that
0: right and I want to talk about it because I'm very torn. Like, I, I love the theater experience, and I've been able to go to the theater a couple times this year. I saw, of course, as I said, I saw Pig in theater, uh, more of an intimate setting, a living room theater with the nice big chairs, and, you know, they serve you food and drinks. Um, it was nice to be back in the theater. But prior to that, I think I mentioned at the famous Hollywood Theater here in Portland, they were showing Tenet in 70mm. So although I'd seen Tenet a couple times at home, me and James, who's been on the show, we went to see it and at Hollywood. And I it forgot was, that
1: you guys did that this summer, yeah.
0: Yeah, and it was great. It was like seeing the movie for the first time. Um, with it being such a convoluted <laughs> movie, I was glad I had seen it. So, But seeing it in theaters, being able to hyper-focus on it, I think I got the movie a little bit more, but just seeing a movie like that in theaters again, even having seen it at home, I, I don't think I was even prepared for how enjoyable, I mean, it was very apparent. I was like, this is, this is great. I miss this so much.
1: I I have only been able to make it to the theater once um, since uh, everything shut down last year. And uh, the movie I saw this summer in theaters was Zola, which was the movie, little indie movie made about the Twitter feed from a few years ago of this woman, a a stripper who was brought to Florida and she recounts the whole story through Twitter. And it was it was a really it, it was such a fun experience to be able to go back to the theater just to kind of get wrapped up in a movie like that which I probably would have sought out on my own if it was on streaming Um, but I may not have like given it my full attention because I do find that I get very distracted watching things at home if I have my phone nearby or something so I appreciated getting to take in this really unique uh, visionary like film and um just be totally taken with the whole theater experience I also thought I was going to feel it was going to feel so much more like strange to be back in a theater having not been in one in over a year but it felt just I don't know like riding a bike I guess (laughs) it's not that hard I guess to sit in a theater but I thought I would have been like looking around and been all paranoid but it was super enjoyable uh it felt just like old times
0: right no I totally agree and um you know, the distracted thing, that that is, you know, as convenient as the watching from home is, you're right. And I, I find myself watching movies, and I've been watching a ton of movies lately. I've had some free time, and I find myself constantly, like, going, oh, who's that guy? I know that guy. And I go on IMDb. And I'm like, what other movies have you been in? Oh, yeah, that's what I know him from. Or yes. <laughs> I'm like, who made this score? This is a great score. And then I'm on IMDb looking that up. And uh it, so I do get distracted. I was watching uh, the uh, Coppola movie, the, the conversation, a couple weekends ago, and I was just constantly reading. I was on Wikipedia and IMDb, just reading about it, and I'm just, you know, it is distracting. Or like, I get a phone call, so I'll pause to pause the movie mm-hmm. to take my, my dad a call. Or um, I got up to make lunch at one point. I'm pausing the movie, and I. I don't mind doing that, but I do miss... There's something to be said about being completely immersed. You can't pause the movie. You can't look at your phone. you got to pay attention. It it really does lend to a better movie-watching experience.
1: Absolutely. And I I think that this kind of leads us into also... I think a lot about... Now when I uh, watch a film that has its premiere on streaming, I'm... I'm looking at it now trying to think of like, would I, what would this look like on a big screen? How would this play? And am I getting that same kind of uh, cinema experience from home when I'm looking at this? And I think that there's been... I was doing a little bit of research into kind of trying to better understand a certain look that I was noticing specifically in like Netflix original films. And I wanted to better understand like what their like specifications are for the 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 media that they're making for, for Netflix. And one of the biggest things that came up time and again is that. They um they require that all of the Netflix originals be made in a 4K format. So they uh they're using that four K sensor and their cameras. They also have a very specific list of cameras that they um require that you use to to make the film. And I, I'm I'm not saying that every Every film looks the same that comes out on Netflix, but there there is like a a sheen or something to it, like a or a flatness that I'm I'm noticing. It's like I and I've I've really, really struggled trying to put my finger on it. But and I'm not trying to hate on streaming services because I, I think there's a lot of good that's coming of this. Like a lot of filmmakers are being given budgets that other studios, traditional studios wouldn't give them to make products or to make films that they are really passionate about. But um I think that they're you they can't these the streaming services can't help but you know, they have to keep in mind like what's gonna look best on someone's TV at home, which is I think pissing off a lot of people in these establishments like of the Academy or at the Cannes Film Festival because they're like, you're not making films with the idea of these are going to screen in cinema or in a a theater. It's almost like an afterthought. So there's just this, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but I just find there to be an interesting dichotomy there.
0: No. And I mean, that's been really apparent. You know, you've got people like Fincher who has built a really great reputation or uh, relationship with Netflix. Mm -hmm. He clearly seems to be fine with that, but there've been people that have been critical. So Spielberg, I mean, we know we talked about it a couple months ago. He, he caved, but he was very critical of, Streaming services saying these movies deserve an Emmy, not an Oscar, but then he signs a big deal with Netflix. I mean, but like Christopher Nolan has been, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't like the same things. He's been very critical of HBO Max, which is arguably the best streaming service right now. Um, And of course I bring that up because he was with Warner Brothers and...
1: Warner Media is behind, yeah, behind HBO Max. Yeah.
0: Um, And you do have, like you were just talking about, the production standards that have to be on Netflix and things like that. And you have someone like Nolan who he doesn't like doing digital. He likes to use film, You mm-hmm. know, doesn't like to use a lot of CGI, wants practical effects. And if you're putting criteria on your filming to look good in TV... You know, a particular director like Nolan may not, may not want to do that, and I'm torn because I appreciate him wanting to make films the way he thinks they should be and make them for the theater, but I just think this is inevitable. You're going to have to make some concessions.
1: And I think Fincher, as you mentioned, and Steven Soderbergh are two directors who are, um, I think, really embracing uh, the new landscape. They've always been on the cutting edge. Um, there is a really cool – I wish I had made note of, note of what it's called. I think it's called Side by Side. It's a documentary. Keanu Reeves narrates it and hosts it. And it's it goes into um, – Uh, top filmmakers and those that choose to strictly work in film and those that have embraced digital. So Christopher Nolan is representing the film side. And I remember Fincher talks about why he has embraced digital. And um, I think that it's no surprise that some of the best work that I'm seeing being made for um, streaming platforms is coming from a director like Steven Soderbergh, who's really who's always, I think, delighted in trying new, um, new filmmaking styles and uh, experimenting that way. And uh, one of my favorite films I watched recently that was made for HBO Max for streaming was Let Them All Talk, which is the Meryl Streep uh, film that Steven Soderbergh directed. And I felt watching that, I, I, it gave me a same feeling, like a warm and fuzzy feeling that I get going to see any movie in, this, in the theater.
0: Yeah, it, you know I love Soderbergh, and you're right. He has always been someone who, you know, whatever he just wants to work. <laughs> and he and he finishes a movie and he's on to the next, and he just he'll make any any kind of movie. Mm-hmm. But he's a perfect example because you know I said it a, a little while ago, but no sudden move, just drops on HBO. Uh, Soderbergh movie with huge movie stars, awesome story, super well made, and I have to ask myself. I love Soderbergh. I really, really enjoyed No Sudden Move. Would I've gone to see it in theaters? I don't. I don't know if I had a free night, maybe. But I'm kind of glad that it was just like, "Oh, here you go. Here's a new Steven Soderbergh movie with Benicio del Toro and Don Cheadle. Here you are. Enjoy." Just in my living room. Yeah, I, I, I do like. I you go. Know, I don't know. I, I'm very torn because I do like that accessibility. But I also miss the theater experience. And now we're in this place where I'm concerned because the studios seem to be prioritizing certain kinds of movies for the theater. Mm -hmm. And it's all superhero movies and Fast and Furious movies. And, and I
1: think that actually really disheartened. Excuse me for no, interrupting no, you, yeah. because I think that Steven Soderbergh actually he took a hiatus from filmmaking for a while because he felt that no one, the major studios were not interested in funding low to mid budget films that he was interesting in and stories he was interested in telling. And and I do think we've seen a lot of that go by the wayside, whether it be like romantic comedies or um, just just smaller stories, not, something that's not on the grand scale of. Uh, Uh, Yeah, like a Marvel, a DC uh, action film, something like that.
0: Right. And, you know, listen to the big picture, you know, something Sean Fennessy brings up a lot is in the 70s and 80s, the movies that made the most money at the box office were also just the best movies of that year, like the movies that made the most money. Were the movies up for Best Picture in seventies? Like The Godfather movies raked in money, and then they won Best Picture.
1: Like Kramer versus Kramer was yeah. like a one of the top grossing films of was it nineteen eighty or something? seventy nine? Yeah. and that's that. I could never see a movie like that making that much money today. No way in hell. Yeah, absolutely not. In, in a, uh, yeah, with just a theater theatrical release.
0: Case in point, Marriage Story came on Netflix. And they did. They put it in theaters so it could be qualified for Oscar nominations. But, yeah, in the 80s, yeah, I mean, Rain Man made a ton of mo- money. Like, yeah. you know? Yes. So I'm not saying that these big-budget movies can't have substance. I'm super stoked to see Dune. Mm-hmm. I think Dune is just going to be a quality movie. And Denny Villeneuve is really imploring people to go see it in theaters and I'm going to try. I I know this is a theater movie. I want to see it in theaters, but if I can't get to the theater, it is on HBO Max. And you know, and listen, technology's come a long way. So we're in this interesting place where so like Pig, I saw it in theaters, you saw it at home. I know you were going to try to see Green Knight at theater, but we saw it both saw it at home, but I just got a new TV that your husband helped me pick out. Uh you know, Really beautiful 4K picture. Mm-hmm. I bought a sound bar last year. So when I watched Green Knight, like I rented the four K version, turned my soundbar on, turned off all my lights, shut all my blinds, didn't look at my phone, and tried to give myself as much of a theater experience as I can. That's great, but like I want to see Dune in theater.
1: <laughs> I yes. I think that there is gonna be um there there is gonna be a, a something about Dune that to get the most just like with the Christopher Nolan movie um, like I think probably the the reason I saw the Dark Knight so I've never seen a movie more and I think I saw that movie three or four times in theaters and there's something to it I think there those are filmmakers that made their movies with the always in the back of their mind like I want an audience to be fully gripped by this in a theater setting IMAX screen whatever it may be so um, I'm happy that we have filmmakers that are still holding firm to that but I think that um, there's there's some uh, really positive things that can come out of um, the new landscape the streaming landscape um, and just uh, it gives us a lot more variety but let's just get this uh, pandemic under control so it's so everyone feels comfortable going back to the theater again
0: Absolutely. I I mean, I totally agree with that. And that's been on the forefront of my mind regarding this topic. But when the pandemic is under control and life goes back to some semblance of, you know, normal, do people want to go back to the theater? I mean, I guess they do, because what, um, you know, f- uh, Free Guy and which I heard is really awful movie, made a ton of money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Shang-Chi made a a bunch of money. And so I guess people do want to go back to theaters. But is it just for that stuff? Superhero movies and kitschy, empty, you know?
1: I hope art house cinema, I hope that it gets a resurgence because of this. And I feel that it will. I think that really, like, art is usually affected in, pretty positive ways after we have to recover from big tragic events like this so um yeah that uh, i i hold out i hold out hope for that
0: yeah and don't get me wrong when we talked about this on our oscars episode i i really liked how easy it was for us to catch up because everything was available on streaming either you had to rent it or it was it was available on hulu you know, I don't I didn't need to see all those movies in theaters. I, I said that on the Oscars episode. I didn't need to see The Father or Minari. I, I don't think I needed to see those in theaters. No Man Land was shot so beautifully. It would have been nice to see it in theaters, mm-hmm. but I didn't mind that I watched that movie at home. And in years past, I was scrambling to watch as many of the movies as I could, or I'd see the Oscars and then the movies that got attention, I would watch them afterwards when they were available. But it was really nice to have access to everything right before the Oscars this past year.
1: Totally, totally. And i um, glad you mentioned Nomadland. I had made a note to myself to talk about movies that I Saw through uh, on my TV that gave me the feeling of seeing a movie in the theater and Nomadland was one of them and uh, um, Sound of Metal as well, which I I think I talked a lot about and how much I loved that movie um, starring Riz Ahmed and I did some digging into both of those and they were actually acquired by Sound of Metal was acquired by Amazon and distributed by Amazon, and then Nomadland was distributed by Hulu. Um, but those weren't made, I think, specifically in mind to premiere on on a streaming s- platform. And I think that there is something to be said for that. Like that it gave them, a, I think, a richness to them because they, I think, all along they were made before the pandemic, and no one knew that they were going to have to premiere that way.
0: Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see where we go with this going forward. Uh, My thing is going to come down to do people go back to the theaters. And if people are going back to the theaters, maybe they stop doing the same time releases on. I mean, we're in a world where a fourth Matrix movie is coming out, and it's going to drop on HBO Max the same time as the theaters. That is insane. So. If people go to the theaters enough, are we going to stop seeing the same day drops? Are people only going to go see Marvel movies and big budget action movies? And are we going to continue to get films like, you know, art house films on streaming primarily? Um, We'll just have to see what the future holds.
1: And, you know, I'm happy for these options that are available to audience um, film lovers uh, because as people who don't feel comfortable probably may never feel comfortable going into big crowded public spaces ever again because they have compromised immune systems whatever it may be but they shouldn't be denied the experience of like getting to see a movie same day it premieres too so I I do you know there's upsides to to everything if you just look for it I guess
0: absolutely Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to review The Green Knight. Oh, greatest of kings, let one of your knights try to land a blow against me. Indulge me in this game. I will be thee.
1: white knight does what he does are you ready
0: all right so here we go we're gonna talk about the green knight uh, i was able to see this recently as i said I, I i i wanted to see in theaters but i had a free evening and i just rented it and tried to make my uh, living room as much of a theater as possible but even from the first trailer, I was. this is one of the movies this year I was really excited to see. The trailer is so intriguing. Um, I had a good time watching it, and just right off the bat, I want to say what an absolute pleasure this movie was to look at. This has got to be one of the two or three most beautiful films I've ever seen.
1: I that's I took the words out of my mouth. I agree. And it was, I, I think you may have mentioned in the, just the past segment that when you watch this at home you made sure to keep your phone away from you didn't check it I did the same thing I don't think I made a conscious conscious effort to do that it just like I didn't want to take my eyes off the screen I had no reason to want to look away like I was like any questions I have and you had already warned me like don't go into this having a, like Save reading more about the poem or the story it's based on until after you see it, and I'm glad you gave me that advice because it. I I think going in with this added element of like mystery and not knowing a a lot about this story, um, it just made it, it was that much more gripping.
0: No, agreed, and and agreed about the the phone part. I I just I didn't I didn't want to look away. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to look away from from this movie. It was absolutely gorgeous. Um so just a heads up I don't think we can really talk about this film without being spoilery and we're going to got to try and not tell you the whole movie but this is based off of an Arthur Arthurian story that's like hundreds and hundreds of years old uh, and in fact my my father who he used to be a, a history professor he's when I asked him about the movie he said well, I'm very familiar with the story I used to teach it every year in my uh world history class so it's very well known you know so w- we'll give you a heads up if we're going to spoil anything huge, but I don't think we can. I don't think it can be avoided.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Yeah.
0: So this comes from a 24 who has just been killing it ever since Moonlight came out. It's just, I mean, they've, they've put out some movies that were not uh, c- critiqued well, but overall they've been, they've really made a name for themselves. Great track
1: record. Yeah.
0: Great track record, probably the most, I don't want to say successful, certainly, but I truly putting out p- in terms of an independent production company going toe to toe with the big, big boys, they're killing it, man.
1: And they made, uh, they managed to produce, uh, with David Lowry, the director with his vision, um, a f- fantasy film that I think in terms of the visuals is as striking as something that Peter Jackson could have made with, twice the budget or something it's uh it was done in a very artistic crafty way the the um the tricks that david lowry employed to use the budget to the best of his abilities
0: yeah use of color um use of lighting
1: and sound and sound
0: and and the score i really like the score It, it was creepy and unique in certain parts but really pretty i mean it just it's the score always did exactly what you needed it to in each scene
1: yes yeah, it was. Um, there's there's and we'll we'll get into it. There's really only one one segment of the film that I was I'm not that like I was kind of down on. I don't know. It was a little slow for me, but for the most part, I mean, though, I was really, really gripped by the whole thing.
0: Yeah. Stunning. And not just what we just talked about in use of color and, and set pieces and stuff. Cinematography. There's some really great wide shots that were just took my mm-hmm. breath away um overall i thought everyone did a good job acting wise yeah um nobody felt out of place uh dev patel was he's fantastic he Did such a good job
1: he i i found out he is only three days older than me <laughs> i i don't know why that was interesting to me but i was like oh he's like the exact same age i am but he just comes across with so much more maturity and uh the charisma than I could ever dream of of having. But he uh yeah, I love seeing what he's done with his career since um Slum Millionaire. He's so handsome and so like uh, so just so talented.
0: Right. So if you're not familiar with the story, as I said, this is an Arthurian story. So when you look at the cast of Mime DB, it says um the two actors that played the King and Queen, it just says the king and the queen. But it is King Arthur and Guinevere. That's that's who it is. Sir Gawain was one of the knights of the Round Table. Um, I've, I I kind of like that they were subtle. Yes. Uh, with with some of that stuff, it just kind of you're just supposed to. You, they assume you know. <laughs>
1: yes, I think the king has maybe mentions once that he calls Dev Patel Gawain his uh, his nephew, but um, and I think one of the first big Diversions from the original text that David Lowry made in his story was that he, um, Sir Gawain, Guy, sorry, Gawin, are we saying yeah. Guywin? yes, as uh, Sir Guywin's mother in the film is not actually his mother in the story, the character Morgan Le Fay is this like sorceress character, and um, David Lowry chose to, it was a, um, He used it as a way to kind of introduce um, Dev Patel's character by having this sorceress character be his mother, also the sister to the king. And I thought it was it was I I was not offended by how they changed that from the original text.
0: Right, right. And they don't call her Morgan Le Fay in the in the movie. But again, if you're familiar with the King Arthur stories and not even that, but uh, Morgan Le Fay is a prominent villain in the DC comic universe, too. Uh, She is supposed to be the Arthurian Morgan Le Fay. But um, yeah, I, I like that they, but again, I don't, I think it would have been distracting if they were like, this is King Arthur and this is Guinevere and this is Morgan Le Fay when the center of attention needed to be Sir Guywin mm-hmm. and you could just infer the rest yourself. Yes. Um, so the story starts off with it's Christmas day and they're, they're all going to celebrate in the castle while they're cel- while they're celebrating. You see Morgan Le Fay and some other women doing some kind of witch ceremony. Um, I don't think that in the actual story that that's what caused the Green Knight to show up, but it it certainly appeared that they...
1: They summoned him. They summoned yeah. the Green
0: Knight to show up. So the Green Knight comes in. You can see this in the trailer. Uh, incredible makeup set up. It looks, it looks awesome. And first thing that made my jaw drop was he hands his letter and guinevere reads it with the
1: (gasps) The light yeah
0: yeah the light changes and the green knight's voice coming out of guinevere that was so cool the
1: lighting design is really really uh powerful in this movie i mean and uh at Vanity Fair, did a uh, notes on a scene with David Lowry for this scene in particular, um, with the the knights at the round table on Christmas Day, and um, it sounds uh, the director talks a lot about how he th- that that set actually was completed the day before they had to film in it. So they um, had to do a lot of work with the production designer to think about how lighting would be used because they knew they weren't going to have a lot of time uh, with the cinematographer to set up and rehearse those scenes um, because they were on such a tight schedule and the set wasn't completed until right before they needed it. So I think uh, there is just this beautiful level of artistry throughout the movie. And um I think that David Lowry seems like a very he just seems like a really gentle spirit, someone who I think pays a lot of respect to his crew and his um cast. And uh I really like the way you can tell that he he surrounds himself with a like minded people to create this this beautiful world.
0: Absolutely. I mean everybody clearly was worked well together because this movie I you know it really came together really well. I I I can't really think of any hiccups that I that I found. So the green knight shows up and issues this challenge to any knight to land one blow on him. However, in a year's time on Christmas day that whoever challenges him has to come to his home and he will reciprocate the blow identically whatever it is. And he even says it could be a cut on the chin you know, uh, so anything small. So I think right away we have a lesson in pride and hubris because Guywin takes the challenge. He could have done anything. He could have cut his arm. And instead, he goes all out and cuts the Green Knight's head off.
1: And I think they built this up well. Early on with how he spoke with his uncle, with King Arthur, and um, doesn't King Arthur ask him to tell him a story of his life? He's like, entertain me with the story of your life, and Gawain doesn't have a story. He's feeling, I think, pretty low at that time after he he realizes he's surrounded by all these incredible people the knights of the round table and he doesn't i think he's feeling like he doesn't deserve to be there in their presence which i think explains why he beheads the the green knight in the way he does because he's like well i need to do something major
0: actually yeah no and i love that because that's what these chivalric stories were about were that you know having your own legend making making something of your name that people remember you know things like that and i think in the original story there was a sense of fear of the green knight being there and that was that's what led more to the beheading but of course both in the story and the movie what happens is the green knight gets up picks his head up says i'll see you in a year and rides off on his horse and so sir guywin spends the next year scared to death and just Completely spiral, spiraling. Sp- I can't talk. Spiraling <laughs> out of control. You know what I'm you trying to downward you spiral. Got it. All right, and um as it gets closer to Christmas, he's you know he's really losing it.
1: And I may this is like maybe a good time to shout out Alicia Vikander, who is playing. It seems she's like a sex worker who he is has a romantic relationship with, and. Um, before he takes off a year later on his quest, she's asking him, could I ever be your lady? Um, would, and I, I, I what do you make of their relationship? When-
0: I, I inferred it the same way. I mean, I think that if, you know, she was, she was, she certainly, you know, he's a knight and she's a peasant and it certainly appeared that she was some, some, like a sex worker, as you were saying.
1: It seems like they, when you first see them, they're in a brothel. I think right. yeah. oh, when um, the movie opens,
0: but they seem to have affection for each other, and he maybe has trepidation because of her profession and class, as opposed to his. Even though he's below royalty, he is a knight. So, so yes, they have a complicated relationship. Um, but she clearly cares for him, gives him gifts to prepare him for his six-day journey, and. When the time comes, he's you know he's like I'm not going to back down from this, um, and he gets on his horse and sets out. I love the shot as he's leaving the kingdom and the kids are chasing down the my dirt road as the camera the yeah, yeah camera pans back and gets wider and wider. Oh, it was a beautiful shot! Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that was maybe the time when I said I wish I had seen this on a bigger screen, but my our new TV at home it's quite beautiful and i was happy to, that we did have a new tv to see this at home i don't think our old tv our 10 plus year old tv would have handled that but uh it was yeah oh, so striking i loved it
0: so he encounters various things and and i will say the movie added situations from that are not in the story the story is very short uh you know it's it's almost like in a in a book of stories about the arthur king arthur Um, so they had to add some things, but I think the first, I mean, he's traveling and the first big thing is he comes across a battlefield with bodies thrown out everywhere, uh, and a young man approaches him.
1: Yes. The actor's name is uh Barry Keoghan. I think I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. You would know him
0: from Dunkirk. He's the young man who hits his head and passes away.
1: And killing of a sacred deer, which I have no, I have not seen, but it is on my list. But um I I uh, he's got a very haunting face. Um and he
0: That would sounded mean. <laughs>
1: I, it's a great phase. I mean, it, it just, uh, yeah, it's unsettling. I don't know. Makes you feel a little uncomfortable when he's on screen, but I like that he's, he's, that actor has made that work for himself. So, um, uh, yeah, the segment, um, that follows after their interaction, I guess we're kind of getting into a little bit more spoiler, spoilery territory here, but I, um, I'm that scavenger character ends up, turning on sir guywin and um they he and his uh cohorts um take off with uh the horse and the 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 sword do they no they leave the sword behind
0: they shatter his shield they shatter the shield before he leaves you see um the church like preparing a shield for him they're painting mary on it and um you know to to bless him with mm-hmm. you know the grace of God for his journey but i I should say I almost forgot the movie's broken up in i i want to say segments even though it's it's uh seamless, but before each segment
1: they say I the theme those, in like old yes.
0: old calligraphy or or you know an old font from those stories and it it would say like the title of that segment, which is what it, what he was going to be encountering so I think this one was an act of kindness. Uh, And then he meets the kid, and the kid gives him directions for where he's trying to go. Uh, And he says, you know, my direction's not worth an act of kindness. So he
1: throws him a coin. Throws him a
0: coin, which apparently was not enough. And that's when this kid, you find out he's got a gang, and they uh, uh, jump him in the woods, basically.
1: And I think this is one of the next... um, one of the next best camera, uh, how how do I want to put this? Uh, camera movements that I've seen in the movie since probably when he first takes off, leaving from uh, the kingdom. Uh, there, uh, so Sir Guywin is tied up, basically left for dead, and the camera does a three sixty um, through the forest and pans back around to a skeleton um and i believe it then continues again for another 360 and um and then we're back to there's there is dev patel flesh and blood back laying on the on the ground but i i thought it was like this um very uh, surreal moment that um i, I again was just right. very very beautiful um, right. i think it was meant to show i i think you could take it that point Did he really die there? Um, Did uh, and then what would have been left of the legacy of that? Like, uh, like I guess it's again just putting into question how important a legacy is. I
0: kind of took that part as um, when they take, so they take his, they take take his horse, and he has the Green Knight's axe. So the Green Knight leaves his axe when he beheads him, and he has to bring the axe with him to to uh
1: That's right they take the axe which he gets back later in the story right. they, so yeah okay Um
0: but I think that when they ride off he kind of looks like he's going to give up and that's when the camera pans around 360 and you see the foliage change so I think this is him thinking about if I just stay here I'm going to die like this and then when it comes back around and it's you know him in in, in real time I think that was kind of him going, okay, you got to go, and they left his sword on the ground. He was able to cut his his ropes with that and move on with the story.
1: Yes, and this is the the first time I think in the movie it it happens again where he envisions a life, an alternate life, and uh, so um, I I really like the play with that uh, uh, how we see our lives in the different directions they can go in and what power we have to change that uh, direction. Yes,
0: our... yes. So then he goes on to another part of the story, which I don't think was in the original story, where he meets a ghost.
1: Yes. Saint. S-
0: yeah, it's Saint something. I, was, I, <gasps> I
1: forgot to note her. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but
0: it's her home. Um, She has been, you're not sure it's a ghost at first, but apparently she has been beheaded at some point. He is asked to retrieve her skull out of the, the pond outside of the home and bringing it back inside and placing it in on her pillow. A light shines in the room and the ax has returned. So I don't know. A lot of ambiguity in this movie. I kind of took that as the, it was a challenge of the yes. green Knight, and he passed. So he can... maybe, maybe the act of kindness was a, was a test that he failed and this was a test that he passed. Yeah, that's kind of what I've dug about this movie. You've kind of interpreted how you want.
1: Yes, yeah. And um you can totally tell the the love that David Lowry has for um the these Arthurian stories because that I think you might be looking up her name right now, but the
0: Saint Winifred.
1: Saint Winifred. That that story was a very popular story that came out of the medieval time period. And he was able to very seamlessly blend that in with the Ser uh story. I guess another thing I wanted to note uh, there's a part along his journey where he comes across uh, a skeleton in one of those like hanging cages or prisons. And it totally reminded me of Willow. And when we were introduced to Val Kilmer and I found out that David Lowry is a huge fan of Willow and of Excalibur. So I think there's a lot of influence uh, uh, of those films that he, he wove into, into the green Knight.
0: Very nice. I didn't think about that, but that's a good catch. Yeah. I like that. Um, well, now he's on his journey. He's on foot, and comes across a fox. I really think the fox symbolized something, and I just I could not come up with anything.
1: Did it sound um, like the king to you at some when it finally spoke? It, it um, uh, Sean Harris, the actor who played King Arthur, has that very like um, scratchy, like whisper kind of voice. And yeah, I, when uh, the fox finally spoke, it reminded me of him.
0: I wonder. I I'm not sure. You know, I, I, I don't know. I Maybe it was another test when he talks to him, but the fox is with him for a while. Mm-hmm. And they encounter, I thought you might bring it up, but the giants. So he's walking the fox, and all of a sudden these giants appear. That
1: was Mike's favorite part of the movie. He said he loved the giants. Part.
0: Right. And I didn't get it. Like, that's the one part of the movie where I'm like, I don't understand why this is here. And I tried to, to Google afterwards and couldn't really come up with an answer. And even somebody on Reddit was saying that they... Um, saw Green Knight and the makers of the movie did a and a afterwards and somebody brought the Giants and he's the person who made the comment said uh, their answer wasn't really an answer mm-hmm. so I don't know maybe they just did it to to show off the capabilities of what they could do in the movie he does eat those mushrooms prior to that maybe he was hallucinating I don't know I couldn't I didn't get anything out of the Giants scene I don't know
1: I I what I got the most out of it I guess I could say is just more that I was like uh enraptured with it. I was very like uh sucked into uh the 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 scenery and and the the vision of the of the giants was really impressive. And so I the, the it gave off a great mood that really spoke to me, but I don't know the what it was supposed to be representing either.
0: So yeah, he's so he's 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 not giving up. That's the thing. This is a six-day journey. He's not giving up. And we come to a part in the movie where this is like the biggest part of the 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 original story is he comes ac- across a, um, not a castle, but a mansion, a very large home. And it's owned by just simply the Lord. The Lord. Played by Joel Edgerton. I love that guy. Yeah. I, I think he's such a good actor. And... I was glad to see him. I hadn't seen him in anything in a while. I was glad to see him in this. He's he's really good in this, too. But interestingly enough, his wife is also played by Alicia Vikander. It's not the same character, though. Mm -hmm. So she's playing a whole other character. And I don't think that that was part... Like, I think if you read the story, Sir Guywin's not like, oh, this woman reminds me of the lady from back home. So... I think in the original story there was so in this house there's a a blindfolded old woman, and if I remember correctly in the story that old woman turns out to be Morgan Le Fay, and this is all a trick. Everything in this home Absolutely. is a, is yeah. a trick. So maybe that would... but they don't they don't hint at that at all in the movie. So this was clearly another test for him though.
1: Yes, and I think to cast Alicia Vikander in the the lady role, um, who is tempting. Guywin, I'm also really sorry. I keep calling him Gaywin and then Guywin, so I'm gonna try and get this under control. Um,
0: all those King Arthur fans are gonna come get you I know
1: um. And so uh, having her play this kind of temptress, uh, it was, I I think, smart to uh, to show that extra uh, level to this game that he was this test that he was being given because he already had this familiarity with a woman that looks exactly like her. And part of that test is that will he it's that the Lord says, you will give me a gift that she is going to give to you well
0: not even that specific it's just and this is part of the, the actual story is anything that you find or receive in my home i just ask that you give it to me since i'm giving you every you know, i'm going to go on a hunt anything i i bring back i will give to you but anything you f- get while you're here you give to me and he's like "Ever you own everything in the house what could i possibly get here and he, lord's kind of like you might be surprised
1: mm-hmm. yes and it turns out a, a kiss is what uh he ends up Giving the 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 two the Lord and Guywin do exchange a kiss as he makes departs uh, to find finish his journey um, because that is what he was given by uh, right. the the lady of the of the house. But um,
0: and I think that goes. I mean that goes back to the chivalric.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: that's to be a knight is to be chivalry. It's like, well, I was given a kiss from your wife. I need to give it back to you. So it might seem odd to people today. But that's yeah. That's the theme of those stories.
1: I um I will say that this segment of the of the film was the part that didn't work. It worked the least for me. I I I don't know. I kind of tuned out a little bit. It moved a little slow. I I guess I kind of came back to when um oh we forgot to mention that his um the sash that he had been given uh he loses that right. It's taken from him and then. When he ends up in this, uh, this the the Lord and Lady's um, estate, uh, Alicia Vikander's character gives him an identical sash, and so the sash um, is
0: given to him before his journey to. It says no harm will befall him as long as he wears it, mm-hmm. uh, and he it is taken from him when he's robbed in the woods. And yes, the the lady wakes him up one morning and gives him an identical like you said an identical sash and she says I'm also a witch and this will no harm will come to you if you wear this same identical sash
1: which uh, if you do the research and read more about the original text and understand about what the blindfolded woman is representing if that is the same enchantress same sorceress as Morgan Le Fay it all kind of comes full circle but it's 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 subtle yeah it requires i think doing a little bit more reading after the fact of seeing the movie to kind of pull bring everything together like that
0: also throughout all of this in the mansion giving him a second sash um don't see this a lot in movies but a semen shot (laughs) Yes, Uh, i was yeah uh, they
1: didn't shy away from that
0: (laughs) yeah i kind of rewound i was like wait, is that what I think it is? And everyone's like, well, all right.
1: Ooh, and I think she says to him, you are no knight.
0: Yep, she sure does. And that was
1: very cutting. Very yeah. cutting.
0: Um, But that's what the whole story is about. A knight is.
1: shouldn't have done that. A, knight, a true right. chivalrous knight would not have succumbed to those temptations. But this
0: is all part of his legend that he was asked to tell at the beginning of the movie. So we're coming up. Go ahead. Do you want to say something? No, no, no. Okay. So we're coming up on the end of the movie here. And, okay, so don't want to hear the end of the movie fast forward but this is not a shocking ending you can you know it's an old story and uh but i do want to talk about it because i i really like the ending and i thought it was poignant he finally gets i mean the lord tells him the green church you you seek is
1: a half, day's ride yeah, or something it's from half here. a day
0: away from here um so guywin does Find the church. He gets a warning. As we said, the fox speaks for the first time and warns him not to continue. Um, And he doesn't listen. He finds the Green Knight sleeping on a throne in an old, broken-down church, not woken up yet. So he lays on the ground, waits for the Green Knight to wake up who he, he does wake up on Christmas day,
1: more gorgeous cinematography. Yeah. And what did you make of too? It, it didn't look like Christmas in there. It looked like a summer's day, almost like as the sun was coming up, the lush, the green, I, I there's very little snow for this being like a story that takes place in, around Christmas. So, um, which to me just kind of added when he makes it to the green Knights uh, church, um, or where the cathedral, wherever he's supposed to meet him, uh, it added this extra element of like fantasy, uh, and like another realm possibly that he's entered. Um, that was how I interpreted it, but I think it's totally
0: yeah. I certainly think that the the green, lush green around the green knight is supposed to speak to the power of the green knight. Who, you know, he, he's clearly connected to the earth and everything. I mean outside of the church it looked like fall. All The leaves are brown and red and orange and on the ground and um I mean yeah I don't know. I guess you would expect more snow but um but I yeah, I don't know. That's that's certainly my take on it but the green knight wakes up and says, "Are you ready to have the blow? Do you remember do you recall the cut you made on me?" And he goes, "I do." And he puts his head down prepared to have his to be beheaded. And he keeps stopping the Green Knight and asking questions. And I loved when he goes, Is this all there? Is? He goes, Wait, is this all there is? And the Green Knight pauses and goes, Well, what else would there be? I loved that part. It was awesome.
1: It is it, it is. It's a um what as I'm jumping ahead to just the way I felt when the movie was over, I was like, this really was like a grand story very fantastical story for a very just simple truth about what it means to be a human and like uh, uh, and yeah uh, something about like just how simple that line is Um, I liked that uh, the dialogue was sparse and I think the visuals were meant to like feed into more of the storytelling
0: absolutely no, 100% so He runs, he goes, I can't do this, and he runs away from the Green Knight, only to find his horse, who was taken from him earlier in the movie. He's happy to see the horse. It's the first smile you see on his face in a while. But he rides back to the kingdom and looks completely downtrodden and disheveled as he comes back home to where the movie started. And he never takes off the green sash. It even shows him... um, having sex with uh, Alicia Vikander, and the only thing he's wearing is the green sash. Uh, and you see kind of a sped-up version of the story where he becomes king, he he comes... She
1: impregnates. Uh, her. Essel is the, yeah. is the Alicia Vikander character who's back waiting for him at the kingdom. Right, uh...
0: but takes his child away and marries a noble, leaving her behind. Uh, and as the years go on, he's a wizened king and... Uh, looking gray and not a good, like, doing a really bad job. Everybody hates him until the enemy's at the gates, charging the castle. He sits on his throne in disappointment, uh, and his head falls off, and you realize it was a vision of if he leaves the situation, goes against his word, and is a coward, this is what lies in store for him. And we're back in the present, and the Green Knight's axe is raised, and he says, wait. And he takes the green sash off. He says, now you can do it. And it's like this...
1: Ultimate act. Of- yeah.
0: I'm going to be brave. Even yeah. we, I'm not even going to carry this thing. And the green knight puts the axe down, runs his finger across his neck, and smiles and says, off with your head. And that's the end of the movie. I just loved it so much.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree. Yes, it was... Um- I I think to have been pulled out of that vision he had of his future to be brought back to that moment face to face with the Green Eye and to end the way they did, um, it uh, it just yeah was a a perfect culmination of the whole the whole story and and what uh valor integrity, a good a good heart what it all comes down to and um and having to make that very scary kind of brave selfless decision
0: yeah and you know carving out your story carving out your adventure and he now has the next time someone asks him tell me a story tell me if you're a legend he has one to tell i overall i really really enjoyed it um if you've already seen green knight and you're listening to this i hope you enjoyed our take on it uh and if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the green knight uh, but you don't care about spoilers. I hope that when you finally do watch it, we've kind of helped set the stage for you to understand what's going on a little more. Even though we only understand it up to a certain point. Because I think they they don't even know who the author of the original story is. And its interpretation does vary from person to person. I mean, as I said, my father used to teach his story in his his classes. And I don't even think he he just has the vague understanding of what people believe the themes of the story to be
1: mm-hmm. i know can we get your dad to come in and, and give us a history lesson <laughs> no, i'd love to have <laughs> my dad
0: on the show my dad's a very gifted storyteller and
1: let's make it happen so um i could i just quickly ask you if you've seen any other films by david lowry and what you think i don't of them? think so he's
0: the guy who did a ghost story right
1: he did and um i think he did ain't them Bodies Saints." Um, and Pete's Dragon, uh, uh, the remake of Pete's Dragon, which that was the only one of his films I was able to um, see before we recorded this. In addition to The Green Knight, and um, oh, uh, The Old Man and the Gun with with Robert Redford, which came out a couple years ago as well. But um, I, 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 I was very moved by Pete's Dragon. I had heard some great things about it for it being like a Disney remake. Critics actually like thought that he he brought something very like uh he 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 brought like a real vision to it and it's a very like tender story. I, I think that again it kind of goes back to uh I just think this this person, David Lowry, just seems like a very, a very good soul. And and I heard in that Vanity Fair piece he talks about his legacy he wants to leave behind with his movies. And, uh, and he talks about like, it's important for him to, to show like what it means to be like good, good hearted. And I think, hell yeah, that's great (laughs) to have someone out there that's making movies like that. And as beautiful as this one.
0: Um, so as we did with pig, you know, we normally end each show with a recommendation, but the green Knight is our recommendation. So Chelsea, please, what's your final, final thoughts?
1: Yeah, I give it a, a three to absolutely go see. Um, I I would this is a movie I would love to own um, on a Blu Ray or whatever four K whatever is the latest and greatest um, and to revisit. I think it would be a really really neat movie to watch. Make it be like a Christmas staple. Um, I mean the story like begins that. and ends on Christmas, and I I think that um, you can just pull more and more to like out of it probably upon rewatch.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think a second watch would definitely probably catch stuff you didn't catch the first time. I really want to give it a three. Um, I I really enjoyed it. I I really did. I I I felt very satisfied when the movie ended. I I think I came as close to watching a theater experience in my living room. I had a lot of fun. I I yeah. I had, I caught myself smiling a few times. I was like, I'm having a good time. I think I'm only going to give it a two because this is just not going to be everyone's cup of tea. I think that everyone can appreciate it's beautiful movie, but I think a lot of people are going to watch it and go, and and by the way, this is okay. I, I just think the average movie watcher is just going to be like, what, what is going on? You know? And if you don't, if you're not interested in in diving in, and if you're not in, if you're not interested in completely enveloping yourself in this movie, and you're not interested in following up and reading about the original Arthurian story afterwards, you just may not. You may say that was really pretty, but I didn't. It wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, really liked it. I don't think it's going to be everyone's movie. So to get around to it when you can, um, but uh, but. If I could give it a three, I would, because I really, really enjoyed it.
1: Do you think it will get nominated for any Oscars? Oh,
0: absolutely. I, I think I think effects, costume design, uh, cinematography. I would hope score, but I don't think score is going to be mm-hmm. beyond there. I, I could see Patel or Vikander maybe getting... I could see her more likely because of supporting, and she played two roles.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to see him nominated as a director I like... because I think this is a real director's, like, a- auteur's vision come yeah. to life.
0: Yeah, and I think thus far, still in the th- throes of COVID, I-, I think that we haven't had a, you know, there haven't been a ton of movies this year. And this was a standout movie, in my opinion. I could see the director being nominated. I could see Dev Patel being nominated, although I I'm, I don't think that he would win. Um, but, I, yes, I costume you know maybe even sound i mean yeah i i could see this being nominated for for several
1: things I keep my fingers crossed i hope so yeah this this is a, a special movie that i hope gets recognized the
0: oscars seem to like 824 films so mm-hmm. um yeah I'm, I'm excited to see what it is nominated for so well that's gonna end this episode i think next week we're gonna do the first episode of a series we're going to be sprinkling in from time to time called twinning. And I'm not going to tell you what that is. We're just going to save it. We're really excited. i uh, leave that there for you. Yeah. I'm actually kind of shocked. We didn't come up with this idea sooner, but uh, we're actually prepared for it. So we're going to, we're going to record it here pretty soon and get it out to you.
1: Yes. Can't wait. Um,
0: so again, like I said, last time we are on Twitter at the marquee spot LT. Uh, we also, if you have comments or questions or anything, you want us to talk about we can reach me at the marquee spotlight at gmail.com and chelsea instagram
1: yeah the marquee spotlight on instagram
0: so that's gonna do it and we will see you for the first twinning episode uh so for the marquee spotlight i am spencer bailey
1: i'm chelsea burnett
0: we'll see you Thank you for listening. The Marquee Spotlight is recorded in Portland, Oregon. Music composed and produced by Josh Colopy and cover art created by Taylor Engel. Check us out on Twitter for updates regarding new episodes and listen to episodes anywhere podcasts are found.